0: Put out your porch light, draw your curtains tight, and get ready for another night of Kentucky
1: deceased.
0: Hauntings of Frankfurt. My name is Eleanor Haskin Wagner and I am the Museum and Historic Site Supervisor for the city of Frankfurt, Kentucky. I am going to be leading you through the journey of the next few weeks while we take a look at some of the wonderfully spooky and creepy and at times macabre stories from right here in Frankfurt. Now, a lot of these stories that you're going to hear will require you to suspend belief. I know that's something that's hard for a lot of us to do these days when we're bombarded by social media and all things fake news versus real news. And I want you to set that rhetoric to the side for these next series of episodes. Some of the stories that you're going to hear were written by the authors who will be sharing them with you. Other stories are true accounts from people who have firsthand experienced these bizarre paranormal events. And some of the stories you're going to hear are artfully done recordings coming to us like a blast from the past. Now, I'm sure a lot of you all are wondering what the release schedule is going to be for these episodes. And you're welcome to take a look at that schedule as published on the Facebook page for the Capital City Museum and Historic Sites right here in Frankfurt. We've got an event page going that will have each of the episode links there. But we are planning on releasing episodes every Wednesday and Friday up until Halloween weekend. But on Halloween weekend, we're going to be releasing a special two-part episode That will have the original audio from the Murders and Mayhem tour by Russell Hatter, former, uh, now retired city historian. In thinking about how I wanted to kick this podcast off, I, I wanted to first share a little bit about myself, which sounds goofy, but bear with me, it is relevant. So I am the Museum and Historic Sites Supervisor for the city of Frankfurt, but I am also a PhD candidate in Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. I am in the process of preparing to defend my dissertation, but the content of my dissertation is all about legends. I study how and why legends migrate from place to place, which if you think of legends as migratory, you'll start to realize there's a lot of intersections between narratives and legends of one town and that of another town. My specialty in this area of legend study falls underneath cryptozoology and ufology, which is the study of aliens and UFOs, so those are of particular interest to me. However, I've worked very closely with scholars who study ghost stories and all things spooky and supernatural in the world of demons and poltergeists and hauntings, and I really quite enjoy those areas of study too. Now, what is a folklorist doing studying these things, you might ask? Are we trying to disprove that they happen? Prove that they happen? And uh, I have a very unsatisfactory answer for you. The joy of being a folklorist is that you don't have to investigate the reality of any singular event. Rather, the fact that these stories are told by people to people indicates that they mean something, and this meaning transcends any scientific or scientistic possibility of the unknown. So, as I said at the beginning, I, like many of you, sometimes struggle with this idea of what do I believe, or how can this one thing happen? But I ask each and every one of you to set aside those questions and to enjoy the possibility of the unknown, because sometimes that's a really fun way to get to engage with things. And these stories that I am offering you and these episodes of this podcast are an opportunity to enhance that ability to engage with possibility moving from this little brief discussion of folklore and belief, I want to turn now to the content of our very first episode. Now, I've given this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of thought, and ultimately, I have decided to share with you something that I have found in the museum. Well, To be honest, saying that I found it is a bit insincere, as the current city historian, Beth Shields, is actually the one who placed this on my desk. Now, we're not sure of the provenance, we're not sure where it came from, who put it together, or any of the material therein, but for the safety of those who are mentioned in the material I'm about to read to you, I've decided to change the names of both the people and the places. Now, I'm doing this because these events that I'm going to tell you about occurred in the 1960s, but Frankfurt is a small community. And in my short time here, since moving in August of 2021, I've realized that everyone knows everyone. The six degrees of separation doesn't really apply to Frankfurt. It's more like one or two at the most. And since the material I'm about to read you has no concrete origin, I cannot find or figure out who I need to ask if I can publish this material. So to protect myself, protect the individuals listed here, we are going to change their names. The objects I am going to tell you about, however, I'm going to put on display at the Capital City Museum in the upstairs corridor. I am planning on doing that in the next week, so I have some time to make sure that I lay them out in the appropriate manner. So I encourage each and every one of you to stop by the museum after October 16th in order to check these items out if that is something you would like to do. The museum is open Monday through Saturday from 10 to 4 p.m., and we encourage guests at any and all times because admission is free. Who doesn't like free things? I want to provide a little bit of context for the things that you're about to hear. So as I've said, Beth Shields, city historian, has been going through the files at the museum, trying to get an inventory of everything that we have available. Previous city historian Russ Hatter did a fantastic job of documentation and collection, but in his absence at the museum now, we're trying to fully understand everything that he documented and collected. So Beth has been working very hard to try and understand the sheer volume of things in our collection. She knows that I've been working on this podcast and that I love all things supernatural and paranormal. So she did me the wonderful kindness of pulling out any and all files related to paranormal events in this collection that Russ Hatter put together and I've looked through these files they have a lot of content some of which you're going to hear in the following episodes of this podcast but one folder really stuck out to me it was labeled a cult and it had this really dark brown patina it was clearly older and it had a lot of clippings from the uh inquirer as they used to call it back in the day which was a kind of um pulpy you know checkout counter last minute throw-in item that included articles like you know um Jesus came down to visit my family and ate dinner with us on uh, last Thursday or articles about you know scandalous bat boy uh, marriages or dating or whatever it might be And so a lot of these articles dealt with the Bermuda Triangle, a lot of them dealt with, you know, speaking in tongues and things like that, but there were this weird collection of articles about the Ouija board and spirit sessions and communicating with the dead. Amongst those were articles about the death of a young boy, and the articles were saved on a, like, kind of backing cardboard, so they were clearly important to whoever cut them out. And then underneath those articles were stapled pieces of paper. Then underneath those was a handwritten letter. And as I was sifting through these items and taking a look at them and seeing what ones I wanted to record for this podcast, I realized that the seemingly disparate items of the stapled pieces of paper with handwritten conversations, the handwritten letter and the article about the death of the young boy and the articles about the medium solving murders were all connected. And that whoever had compiled all this material together at one point believed that utilizing a Ouija board or a spirit board, they were communicating with spirits who were helping them solve a murder. And What's fascinating about this is that there's no good resolution. I I wish I could offer you some kind of neat bow of closure that this murder has been solved and we know who did it and whether or not the spirits were right or wrong ultimately wouldn't matter. However, I've done some digging in this case, which is from the 1960s, and I cannot for the life of me find any contemporary or even, um, you know, Contemporary Now and Contemporary Then articles about this unsolved case, because in this article that you'll hear me read here momentarily, you'll hear that it was done and dusted. It was written up as, you know, just a death. It wasn't believed to be a murder necessarily. However, the people who did these spirit sessions truly believed that they were communicating with spirits who were helping them solve this murder. At times, these spirits were really helpful, and at other times, they were evil, is what these people called them. So some of the spirit sessions I'm going to read to you don't really seem connected to this death. However, the handwritten letter that I will also read to you clearly indicates that these spirit sessions are closely tied to the idea of solving this murder. And more than that, you'll hear that there are moments where the spirits are asked to help find missing items or find stolen items, all of which are pointing to this type of you know, solution that's offered by reaching into the unknown. If you are very familiar with Ouija boards, the first part of this is going to be a little bit boring for you. I'm just going to be honest. However, it's important context for those who maybe aren't familiar with the Ouija board or don't really know the history or the background of the Ouija board. And along with these articles and spirit sessions that I've talked about, these informational materials were found amongst this folder. So I think it provides important context in the eyes of whoever put this together. And again, we, we don't know who it is. There's no clear indication of where it came from or why it was put into the museum archives, except in that it relates to Frankfurt and events that are semi-paranormal or bizarre in Frankfurt. So I invite your curiosity, I invite your interest, and I invite you to come to the museum and take a look at some of these documents yourself. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into a little bit of the background of the Ouija board. For those of you who have not heard of it before, Ouija boards are a commodified or material version of a historically important item called a talking board or a spirit board. Now these items were typically homemade. They were long wooden or paper pieces that had the letters of the alphabet as well as simple responses like yes or no spelled out on top of them. People would then use this thing called a planchette, which would be a triangular shaped object with a guide point at the top suspended on top of three legs with little felt tips at the bottom that would easily move around this piece of wood or paper. Now, the way that people would use these talking boards or spirit boards is they would sit typically in a circle or next to one another and they would each place a finger or a hand on top of the planchette. Then they would offer a space for a spirit or ghostly phenomena to enter the room or enter their presence and then use the energy from the people gathered around the board in order to communicate through the planchette by guiding the planchette along the board. Spirits are often thought to use human energy as well as electromagnetic or electronic energy in order to cross this celestial terrestrial plane. And that energy can be channeled through things like a talking board or a spirit board or through white noise on a television set or on a radio. So if you've ever seen one of those ghost shows where they've got a little box that will pull snippets from radio channels, that is a contemporary version of a talking board. But talking boards have existed for well-documented, existed for hundreds of years. But a Ouija board, as we have come to know it today, really became solidified in the late 19th century. Companies began to market a version of a Ouija board or a talking board as a way to tap into the market of spiritual gatherings and seances and um Kind of spooky parlor games that were very, very common at the turn of the century. Well, I have in front of me here something that came out of this mysterious file at the museum, and it has on the front Kennard Novelty Company, manufacturers of the Ouija Gardez and other novelties at 212 Illinois Street, Chicago, Illinois. On the back of this envelope is a drawing of a Ouija board. Underneath it, it says the latest parlor amusement will answer questions on politics, everyday topics, or love affairs. Inside of this envelope is a form of advertisement for the Ouija board. I will read a portion of it now. A few specimen orders and remarks from prominent customers, which proves the wonderful selling qualities of Ouija. Toy department John Wanamaker in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Send us more Ouija's. We cannot get enough to supply the demand. G.A. Schwartz in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania via Telegram express six dozen Ouija's tonight. Carey Brothers and Gravemeyer are also in Philadelphia, PA via Telegram. Ouija not received. Missing sales. Have shipment traced at once. John H. Hitchens of Toy, Toy Fancy Goods at Baltimore, Maryland I have sold hundreds of them and at times could not get enough to supply the demand. As Khan's sons and co. at Broadway in Baltimore, Maryland says, the Ouija has been one of the most successful articles handled in our establishment. We have many more like the above. All the largest houses in New York and Boston are customers. Underneath this advertisement is another folded piece of paper that includes a very lengthy letter from the Kennard Novelty Co. I'm not going to read all of it for you here, but the letter was printed on November 6, 1891. Dear Sir, Please let us tell you of the remarkable and unparalleled success of the Ouija, the wonderful talking board. Wherever introduced in the Southeast by principal jobbers and retailers, the sales have been beyond our most sanguine expectations. Were we to tell you all our actual sales during the recent warm months when persons are not supposed to sit in their parlors playing any game, you would scarcely credit them. There is a certain fascination in trying to solve the mystery which sells the board— Unlike other games, it is always new, and fluently talks of love, politics, science, and all other subjects. Past, present, and future events are predicted with marvelous accuracy, and the more you play, the more mysterious it becomes, and naturally, the more fascinating. As an instance of what has been done with this great seller, let us cite you the case of New York City alone— The first board was sold there on March 5th, last, as the demand prior to that date from Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington exceeded the capacity of our Baltimore factory, although working night and day. From that date to October 1st, which includes all the warm months, the sales in New York were over 32,000 boards. We are prepared to prove this statement. Caution. All good articles have their limitations. There is only one Ouija and it is protected by United States patent and copyright. And we warn the trade against all infringements of same by whether name it is called. And we will prosecute all such infringements of our own protected legal rights. Our success is due to a secret, which has never been discovered. As made apparent in this letter discovered in this file The Ouija board was very much a hot topic at the turn of the century. It was a desirable item to have in any one home for the degree to which it allowed people to commune with the unknown, the spiritual, the deceased, and to learn the possibilities of love of past, present, and future, and to try and connect with this otherworldly plane. Oftentimes, people would cite being in contact with friends who have long since passed, family members, grandparents, people who are more like guardian spirits, and they would engage in conversations days and days and days, nights and nights and nights, talking to these same individuals over and over and over. Ouija board users frequently cite being able to stay in reliable contact with one or two consistent spirits who serve almost as guides through the spiritual unknown. However, as the 19th, as the 1900s creeped into the plane of our existence and seances and parlor games began to become less well-liked and, and the beginning of satanic panic really started to creak in around the middle of the 20th century, people began to distrust these spirit boards, Ouija boards as we have called them, and we began to see kind of this turning of the tide An article found also in this file from Awake Magazine says, The Ouija board, harmless amusement or deadly threat. Hang on to your Ouija board, folks. The occult arts are rising again, declared a New York newspaper in 1967. From the gloomy haunts of the Manhattan mystics to the raunchy halls of the West Coast cultists, a psychic wave is swelling. Sales of Ouija boards tripled during the past year. The same source added, it is reported that for the first time, the Ouija boards have become the top seller among games, with sales of about 2 million sets in the United States. It has surpassed the game Monopoly for the first time in 32 years. So popular have they become that Time magazine commented, the spirit world is fairly crackling with activity these days. Even the Harvard University co-op sells out whenever it stocks them. Widely advertised, they are presented to the public as a way of increasing psychic powers. One advertisement declared, Reach into the unknown, place your hands on it, and ask a question. Concentrate, and your question will be answered. The inventor of a better Ouija board claims it is so spellbinding that it will draw you and your friends into the inner world of amazing mysticism. Many of those who use the board claim they can even communicate with the other world. Even prominent people use it for this reason. Canada's former prime minister, Mackenzie King, a practicing spiritualist for 25 years, believed he had communicated with his mother, with Franklin D. Roosevelt, and even with his dog, Pat, after they had died. As Maclean's Magazine of Canada noted, to his real intimates he made no secret of these beliefs. Some of them even joined him many times in sessions with the Ouija board at Ottawa. Well, just what is the Ouija board? Is it merely an innocent amusement, or is it really a means of communicating with spirits in the other world? Its background. In the 1890s, a Baltimore manufacturer put on the market a device that was called the Ouija board. The name was derived from the French and German words for yes. While there are now several variations of the board, it is generally a rectangle, about two feet by 18 inches and a quarter of an inch thick. Its surface is polished smooth and contains the letters of the alphabet in two arcs. Below these are the ten numerals in a straight line. At the upper left-hand corner is the word yes, and at the upper right-hand corner the word no, with goodbye at the bottom. The most important part is the small heart-shaped indicator that sits on three pegs shod with felt. At the pointed end is a transparent disc pierced by a pin. This points to each letter to spell out the message. The first detailed account of a similar device comes from the 4th century Roman historian. He tells how a band of conspirators determined the name of an emperor's successor by suspending a ring from thread over a disc around which were printed the letters of the alphabet. The ring, it was claimed, pointed to the letters that spelled out the name of the emperor's successor. There have been other varieties of this pendulum type indicator. They all bear a similarity to the Ouija board. One ESP game played today utilizes a pendulum instead of the heart shaped indicator for pointing to the letters. Whose qualities are displayed? If these messages originate with God, his angels, or the spirits of dead persons whom God has taken to heaven with him, then we must expect them to reflect God's qualities. The Bible, God's word, says that God is love. It also tells us that God is a God, not of disorder, but of peace. Also, God declares that his name and purposes must be known by those who represent him. Hence, these godly qualities of love, order, and peace, as well as information regarding his name and purposes, should be highlighted in any communications for which God is responsible. But are these things highlighted through the Ouija board? Note just a few of the many thousands of examples that can help us determine the source of these messages. One person wrote to the manufacturer of his Ouija board and said, I have one of your Ouija boards and use it a lot with my friends. With mine, it gives very good answers early in the day and very dirty answers at night. It feels like someone's moving it. Good answers than dirty ones? Is that consistent with God's love, his orderliness, his morality? Another verified experience is the following. One woman had been using a Ouija board, which led to an automatic writing. Within two weeks, the spirits were whispering obscenities in her ears. She then felt them in her bed. She had been driven to near insanity by the experience. Was this a display of godly qualities at work? In another instance, a woman started to study the Bible. Previously, as a young girl, she had often talked over her problems with a voice that she thought was God's. Now that she was studying the Bible, the voice told her to quit associating with Bible students. Then she and her children experienced attacks from unseen forces. Does this sound like these spirits' forces were from God? In Venture Inward by H. Case, we read the following experience of a person who first used a Ouija board later, went to automatic writing, and then began hearing voices. For several weeks, I was under their control to the extent that I could not move, could not lift an eyelash, or even speak without their allowing it. I was exorcised, but this is something they laugh at, coming back immediately in greater hordes. In the beginning, they prevented, they pretended to be spirits of departed relatives and friends, angels, etc., and laid down firm and needed reforms towards spiritual development, thereby gaining my confidence, stressing I was an instrument. Then it became all at once a most terrible obsession aimed at complete possession and disability." They are fiendish, insane, terribly cunning, and possessing a warped intelligence. While the spirits picked me over, they explored my memory from top to bottom. The source also tells of a man who bought a Ouija board for his wife because he had seen a magazine article recommending it. They began to use the board and obtained amazing answers. The messages claimed to originate with dead friends and relatives, but one day, while a husband was away, the woman heard a soft whisper in her ear. The more she responded to the suggestions of the whispering, the voice, the clearer it became. But then the voice said the woman was in his power, that he was in love with her and would bring her to his plane by killing her. Following this, she could hardly eat or drink without vomiting. Multiply these few examples by thousands, and they show that without doubt, the influence is far from godly. So, how do you protect yourself? for one thing, have absolutely nothing to do with any manifestation of extrasensory perception, ESP. This includes the use of the Ouija board. In fact, do not even keep one in your house, as that can be an invitation to demon influence. Imitate the course of many who became Christians in the first century of whom the Bible tells us. Indeed, quite a number of those who practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them up before everybody. Where possible it is also wise to avoid association with persons who operate Ouija boards or who otherwise engage in spiritualistic practices. So while this article clearly takes problem with the Ouija board at a religious or spiritual level, it does point to concerns that many people who have worked with Ouija boards or talking boards have expressed. That the entities with whom they communicate using the board will often quickly move towards other types of communicative practices, meaning they will speak with you by whispering things in your ear or through connecting directly to your thoughts. They will engage in what this article refers to as automatic writing, meaning that they will utilize your body to begin to write with a pen, almost free thought association. Now, while this article definitely slants the experience of the Ouija board with that of a negative connotation, I do have in this folder an additional article from the 1960s about a medium who helped to capture a killer by the use of a spirit board, Ouija board, or talking board. However, I I bring this up. And I bring up these other articles about a Ouija board, not as an attempt to convince anyone to either use or not use a Ouija board, but rather to set the tone for the true story I want to share with you. And I have to admit, even talking about this story is giving me goosebumps, even though I am sitting currently alone. We're also immersed in this true crime podcast lifestyle and Obviously, I've been talking about the Ouija boards, solving murders. So I want to say to you that I do not know the resolution to the story I'm about to share with you. I can make some assumptions, I can make some guesses, but I can offer no real conclusion. Instead, I, I would be curious as to what you think the conclusion of this particular incident might be. And I really do invite your feedback into any type of This story might feel a little disjointed because I am piecing it together from the information available to me in this mysterious discovery. And it begins with the article, Probe Death of Lad Found in Woods with Rope Tied to His Neck. The article was published in the late 1950s. Frankfurt police last night were investigating the death of 15-year-old Benjamin Anderson, who was found yesterday afternoon in the woods near his home. Chief Baldwin of Frankfurt Police said the death was apparently accidental. Missing since Monday afternoon when he apparently left his home to pick up his equipment at Frankfurt High School, where he was a star fullback, Anderson was found in the wooded area 150 feet east of East Main Street and 350 feet south of Versailles Road. A rope was found around his neck and another strand was tied to a nearby tree he was pronounced dead at the scene by dr crittenden coroner's pathologist his parents mr and mrs anderson reported their son missing monday night chief baldwin organized a search party including auxiliary policemen and members of the frankfurt football squad jeremy lyons found the body Now, while this article seems relatively harmless enough, while albeit a little distressing about the content, the thing that really began to pique my interest were a series of papers that were stapled together, found underneath this article. At first, I didn't quite know what to make of them. They have some location information at the top and dates on the upper right-hand corner but that's really the only thing that apparently made sense. They seem to be a sort of interview style. So they have someone asking a question and then someone answering the question. And it was only on the fourth bundle of these pages that I really began to realize that these were not your typical interviews, that it was someone writing down notes from a spirit board session. So I'm going to read you these, and I'm going to be reading both the question as well as the answer. There are some that I still can't quite discern exactly what the writing indicates, but I'm going to do my best. So if you hear me pause or fumble, please know I've just kind of reached one of those points. November 10th, 1965. Do you know Reverend Egert of Frankfort, Kentucky? Yes. Yes. What can you tell us about Egert? Blind. Can you tell us anything else? Yes. What else? M I N I S T E R. Minister. Does Egert possess any unusual powers? Yes. What are some of these powers? Goodness. Where does this power come from? God. Do you know me? Yes. Will we learn something beneficial from Mr. Frankfurt? Yes. What will we find out? M-U-G-F. What will we find out? M-U-F-U. Are you trying to spell murder? Yes. Murder of whom? Bobby Peterson. Who is Bobby Peterson? Someone we know? No. Why shall we find this out? O-D-A-K-W-I-U-J-D-M-Q-X-U-C-J-A-M-O-F-W-G-Q-S-U-B Who is Bobby Peterson? Planchette flies off board. Are you trying to tell us you don't know? Yes. Will we come into contact with Bobby Peterson? U A I W E K F J E U D I U C I D V R E W Q T C I C T C Y C T Z. Are you giving us an answer in code? Yes. Y G Y Q M Do we have guardian angels? Yes. Can you give us Franklin's guardian angel's name? No. That concludes the first set of papers. The second set doesn't have a date, but it was tucked behind this first one. Can you tell me what mine's name is? No. Does Franklin have a power from birth? Yes. Tell us what that power is. E-V-I-K-L. Does Franklin have an evil power? Yes. What is it? 2-C-D-E-A-C-U-C. Is this in code? Yes. How do we decipher the code? You ask devil. How do we ask devil? D-E-W, ask, die, D-T-C-A-W, would, D-T-C-A-Y, would. Are you trying to spell Kwood? Nothing. Did you mean DTKwood could give us the code? No. Why did you spell out DTKwood twice? No answer. Do you know where the power failure occurred? Yes. What state did it occur? Northeast. Do you know the cause? Yes. GYHTB. And that concludes the second bundle of papers. So there are a few things I want to tease out from this before moving on. The first is the series of letters that seem to come about through the communication with this spirit board. While this seems nonsensical, it is actually a pretty common trope that people who have encounters or use of spirit boards report seeing on occasion. Oftentimes, this is ascribed to spirit confusion, lack of clarity, maybe a disrupted thought process of one of the people who is doing the communication. It's kind of unclear. I mean, we don't really have any explicit answers for why those kind of things occur. One of the things that is so fascinating about these papers when you see them in hard copy is that those who are doing these sessions are trying to divide out these words and decipher what the code might be. And there's no clear answer. You can see them trying to work through it by asking, are you referring to this person? How do we find out who tells us this, that, and the other? And we don't really know. So the next bundle of paper is from 13 Days Later on November 23rd. It's written in a different colored ink, but the same handwriting. Is all our guardian spirits here? Is Eldon Stevens here? Yes. Is T. Davis here? Yes. Is Benjamin Petrie here? Yes. Is Father Riley here? Yes. State your name, then say what you will. Ben. Do you mean Benjamin Perry? Yes. What do you have to tell me? You stay home. Go Y.C.E. You are in grave da. Do you mean grave danger? Yes. Why? You are going to suffer tooth pain. Why am I going to suffer? You pick your death in your dreams and you save your life. Benjamin, will you let Sam talk to you through the Ouija? Yes. How could I save my life through a dream? Ask your husband. Are we in danger? Yes. Mine? No. Dave? No. Aaron's? Yes. Why? A C A R D A N G E R. Who? A D A Y A F T E R T H A N K S G I F V I N G. A day after Thanksgiving. Where? Ask better, yet, and death. Have you been talking to Sam? No. Who was? A demon. Is Aaron in danger? No. Why can't Sam communicate? You don't belong here. Is Sam still going to have that dream? No. Why not? Because he becomes evil. How? I don't want to talk to Sam. Do you know about it? Yes. Do you know who has it? Yes. Tell us. E-A-H. Tell us who has it. A group. A group of what? Of boys. Give us the name of the ringleader. Green. Is that his last name? Yes. First name Johnny? No. What is his first name? Bobby. Bobby Green? Yes. Does he have a middle name? No. Does he live in Frankfurt? Yes. Is or was he a member of the Gemstone Band? Yes. Is he a member now? No. What instrument did he play? G-U. Guitar? Yes. How old is he? 15. Does he still have it? No. Did he sell it? Yes. Who to? To a store? Yes. To what store? F-I-C-L-E-S. Do you mean cores? No. H-U-S. House of Guitar? Yes. How much money? 28. Do you know the original cost? 305. Because God does not want. What is being used for now? 2-Y. Who is playing with it? H-O. How can we get it back? Call Bobby Green's parents. Will they help us? Yes. What is his father's name? Ted. What street? Grandview Drive. Should we call there now? No. Give us the phone number 2232505. And that concludes this bundle of paper. This is from the same date, and admittedly, it it could be before the session that I just read. I I am uncertain. Um, It's hard to kind of decide really what order they go in as they're dated the same. They've got the same year, but they're written in different ink colors. Well, to be honest, one is ink and one is pencil. But here's the second one. Father Riley, are you with us? Yes. Are you aware of Charlie? Yes. Yes. Is Charlie a morally virtuous man? No. Has he had any affairs? Yes. How many has he had? A dozen. Can you give us any of their names? Yes. Please give us the initials. R-G-R-G. Is there anything you want to tell us about Charlie? No. Can you give us another initial? Yes. What is it? DT, do you want to tell us about the missing amplifier? Yes. Was the amp stolen? Yes. Who stole it? S-R-B-C-Y. Give us the name. Boys. What boys? Give us a name. A-M-B-R-O-S-E-P-R-A-T-T. Does he have a nickname? Yes. What is his nickname? Al. Al. Tell me how he got the amp back to the station. Ask. Ask who? N-A-S. Eldon Stevens, are you here? Yes. We have a person among us who doesn't believe. Do you know him? Yes. How old is he? Twenty-five. Is that how old he is? Yes. Did you know you were wrong? Yes. What is his mother name? I can't joke about that. Then on the next page, things get a little bit more disorganized. It says, P-A-S-T, you keep up winking, and you will get in trouble. I felt, you are mean, gone to hell, me, L, By and weak, he is jealous, G-E-E-R-A-E-F-D-N-G. And I have to be honest, the handwriting is entirely different on these last two pages. And as I talk about this, the Goosebumps are back in spades. Okay. So, this next one is from several months later. It's from January 31st, 1966. And I want to... We just wouldn't answer any questions. Buddy Holly. Okay. JL. What about the army? Enlist. It will be better since you have to go anyway. Where's James? I don't know. I can't keep up with that guy. Sleeping. I can't say. You have been neglecting us. When? I did it until after I was dead. Why won't I have to go to Vietnam? You're too smart. Air Force or Army communications? Great. That's okay. The last bundle of papers is undated, and it is the one that I don't even like holding it. Um, there's something odd about it and about the handwriting, as well as about the content therein. in. And what really sets the tone is the lettering at the very top, which says, Evil Spirit Talks. And it's really more than anything, a string of letters with some discernible words kind of interspersed throughout. And so I'm going to read through it to the best of my ability, but then I'll go back through and point out all of the kind of repeating words. H-Z-X-D, yes. Lived, 1905, yes. Rosie's mama, yes. Yes, prove. Mamie C, mill, mama. H-M-D, no, no. Spell first name, S-M-F, yes, no, no, not funny, R, no, no, L-A-M-B, 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 T-A-K-M-B, J-D, no, no, M. So we have a lot of M-A-M, as well as L-A-M-B, something about living in 1905, Rosie's Mama. But there's no context for any of this. I, I don't really understand what it means. However, on the next page, we get A-D-A-M-A-J-N-F-E-I-A-B-C-D-E-F-G-J-A-D-N-F-O-F-A-C-D-J-C. Yes, Cassius will speak. Yes, say something. Yes, number of M A M A M A S I X N O W J W E X J R E. J, M, K, yes, ever, Adam, spirit. So here we see a lot of repetition of the same letters and a lot of the same words repeated over and over and over. Which, it's interesting that this has evil spirit talks written at the top. A friend of mine who works very closely with ghost hunters and spirit boards and Ouija boards has spoken to me at length about how the repetition of letters is often considered sign that whoever you're communicating with through the Ouija board is demonic in nature. That sums up the spirit board communications that we have available to us in this file. And again, these really stand out from every other piece of documentation in the occult folder. They are stapled together. They are handwritten. There's different types of ink. There are some that alternate between different ink depending on who is writing. If it's the spirit board communicating, or if it's the people asking questions. And I, I know I've said this so many times, but we don't know who did these sessions, and we don't know really what led them to want to do these sessions. What we do know is that the content of these sessions focus on people who maybe don't have the best intentions in their communities, people who have stolen amplifiers, people who might have committed some heinous crime against the young Anderson boy, people who might be doing awful and terrible things within their community. And so when I was reading through this file, it, it became clear very quickly the spirit board sessions were trying to accomplish something. However, what struck me the most, and, and I view as the climax of the story, is that one of the individuals, and judging by handwriting, the same one who was recording these sessions goes so far as to write a letter suggesting that they know who did the murder and questioning whether or not they should involve the police. How should they involve the police? How should the investigation move forward? And this letter is folded and placed next to and alongside of these spirit board communication sessions. So I present to you, dear listener, this final piece of material in
1: this folder. Anderson was killed. Was he
0: murdered? By a Catholic nun whose last name was Adam? Why was he murdered? And who is Mary Porter? What was wrong with her? How old was she? Is it right for us to explore this mystery? Would it be wise to contact the police and tell them what the spirits have told us? Does he already know? Do the parents know what really happened? I realize if the truth came out, it would escalate a scandal. Should we let the truth come out regardless? I have close friends who are looking into this, but is this the correct move? And then that's it. Uh, There's nothing else about this murder or not murder, death, about the spirits, about Ouija boards. It's almost like those last few sessions really pushed this internal confusion about the right thing to do and the right place to go. And it, it leaves you, the audience, and me with this wonderful mystery of intrigue, of not knowing is this the end? Is this the beginning? Where do you go from here? How do you figure out what did happen next? Did anything happen next? And what could have happened next if the people who wrote this letter and followed these rabbit holes, so to speak, began to follow through with some of the things that these spirits communicated with them? I don't know. It's it's a lot to think about, and I I wanted to share it with you because it is a Frankfurt story and one that is a little spooky, a little unexplainable, and invites a lot of imagination and a lot of thought. So as I said at the beginning, I would love to hear what you think happened next, or if you know maybe the events that I'm talking about, I would love to speak with you more as well. But before we go, I also just want to end by saying that we have our next episode coming out next Wednesday. And in that episode, we're going to hear some more traditional ghost stories. So don't worry if this was not your cup of tea. We got something a little more normal coming next week. And uh, we're also going to take a second to thank the people who made this episode possible. It would not have been without Beth Shields and her discovery of this very mysterious series of items. So thank you so much, City Historian Beth Shields, as well as to the support of the Capital City Museum volunteers and staff for helping this podcast happen, and with the support of people like you. So if you're interested in this topic, please shoot me an email at ehaskin at frankfurt.ky.gov, or you could also support us by sending this episode along to any family or friends who you think might enjoy it too. Thanks so much for your time, and we're looking forward to being a little creepy next week too.